Um, real quick, just one question. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Um, as far as uh, like expletives, cursing, is that? Let them fly. We don't. We don't okay. care. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm always worried. And, and yeah. I'm yeah, worried. I'm genuinely concerned. Yeah. I, so. Our guest last night. I told him I, before they asked the question. I'm like, before you ask, you you can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, usually we're past bestiality at like the five minute mark. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good mark to hit. They're coming to get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied dead are coming back to life, seeking human victims. This week on a podcast from beneath, we have a guest, Ash Hamilton who was the writer and producer of the beautifully titled The True Tale of Old Splitfoot versus the Lesbian Warrior Nuns of the Great White North. Ash, how's it going? That was great, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you did a great job. <laughs> I'm here to validate you did a great job. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks uh, so much for having me on. Oh, no problem. We, uh, it's become kind of our thing on here is to have uh, independent filmmakers, actors, actresses on to, you know, talk because we enjoy. I've enjoyed independent films for as long as I can remember, and I'm pretty sure Aaron has too. So once we started getting people to come on, we were, I was just like, okay, that's going to be kind of our thing now. Other other than just reviewing movies, we were trying to get a lot of guests on. So I mean, anybody that wants to come on, we enjoy having them on. Well, I'm going to prove to be as underwhelming as absolutely possible. Okay, thank so you. See if, we can break <laughs> it. if we can break the trend for you. <laughs> there you go. Have goals. <laughs> Very good. No, I, I mean, you know, I like helping people out. You know, uh, the show, like he said, we just decided, you know, we there's a lot of independent stuff that we watched over the time. And we're just, you know, people need to hear, you know, you guys' story, you know, how how you got into it, all that stuff. That's well, it, it is a, a long and winding road that we will try to traverse. Um, well, I'll go ahead and get to the first question, which is, which is what we ask all of our guests. What is your favorite horror movie? Oh, that's the, that's the loaded question, isn't it? Like, that's, that's the loaded question. It is. Um, so I, I, I'll tell you my two most rewatchable horror films even though they might not fall into the favorite category. That might, that might be easier for me. Okay. So as far as rewatchable, um, I, I will probably sit through, no matter where it's at, if it's 45 seconds out from the end credits or if it's in like 45 minutes in, I'll, I'll, I'll watch Evil Dead 2 no matter where I'm at in it. Like if it's, if it's on, I'll end up sitting and watching it. And then even though this is – I guess maybe not necessarily classically horror, but um, I think when I go back and watch it, it still sort of gives me some of those horrific sort of jolts and scares is that I, I will also watch uh, Jaws um, no matter where I'm at, where, where it falls. If I walk into a room and we're 45 minutes into it, I'll watch it. And if we're 45 seconds away from the end, I'll still watch it. So as far as rewatchable goes, Evil Dead 2 and Jaws are my two most probably rewatchable genre films. 
Evil Dead Two is definitely definitely up on high on my list. Now, what what makes you think that? What makes you say? Because a lot of people say this when I ask that question. They say, "Well, I don't know if it's considered horror." But what makes you think that like Jaws isn't considered horror? Well, I think I think people have a problem with with Spielberg being attributed to horror, even though I mean we all sort of know he had a, probably a heavier hand in, in Poltergeist than you know we were initially led to believe and. And and that film still has a lot of genuine scares for me. Like I think Poltergeist is a is still a, a fantastic horror film, and I, I will say a tried and true horror film. I think Poltergeist is. I think it's a great film, and I think it has all of those Spielberg signatures. You know, even though there's been that debate for so long about, you know, who who really had more um more of a heavier hand behind the camera if it was Spielberg or Hooper, but um I think a lot of people don't like to attribute mainstream directors to horror because we hold horror so close to the chest you know that um if we say you know spielberg directed a horror film and the jaws is horror sometimes it's like we lose a piece of the the flavor of what it's like to be you know rebellious in in, in the horror genre so i think some people don't like to really say that the jaws is horror but um to me i mean jaws when i was a child and probably all the way up until you know late adolescence was a terrifying movie for me I mean, it has all of those elements that, you know, really prey upon the human psyche. First of all, being an element that you obviously can't control, being in water, which is, to me, sort of horrifying anyways, even though I can swim and, like, I've swam in the ocean, but the idea of, of being in this body of water that you can't control, this element you can't control, I think is scary. The fact that you are definitely not alone. You know, unless you're in a, a public pool that you broke into and you're completely by yourself, if you're in a body of water with all these living organisms, you're in an element you can't control with things you can't control that you can't see all of. So ultimately, that scenario is terrifying for me. And then you throw something in there that's hungry and then it, it gets really, really horrified. So for me, Jaws is, is definitely a horrible. I mean, a kid gets killed in a geyser of blood. I think we we all forget that there's a geyser of kid blood oh, yeah. in Jaws. It's like that definitely fills the criteria for you. But I know some people debate if it's actually a tried and true horror film. I mean, the opening scene though with the girl skinny dipping at night—that mm. I mean, that's just straight horror right there. I mean, that's because you don't see you know you don't see the the shark you know. So it's basically like a you could compare it to like a ghost or, you know, something like that. It was you know comparable because you just don't know what is going on. Yeah. And, and strangely enough, like once we start getting past the first film and a lot of successful franchises, a lot of horror films actually follow the Jaws template, you know, which is insert a, a killer or a, a, a killing thing that we, we can't control and we don't want to confront and then within that hour and 40 minutes, how do we take our strongest characters and put them up against that thing to see if they'll survive? So we sort of have that Jaws template for a lot of horror films. And strangely enough, a lot of horror films that sort of came before the 70s didn't always have that template. But after Jaws, it seemed that that template became a little more mainstay. All right. He followed that up with uh, E.T., right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, so... Like I'm, I'm assuming that are you big into like do you like independent horror movies? Yes, yes I do. Um, in, in addition to 
sort of being in the industry to whatever capacity I met it, which you never really know. It's sort of day by day is that I also, uh, I own a, a entertainment site. I, I built one called horror fix. So, and, and my primary goal, um, was to keep a website that was, that was independent. Um, a lot of websites, and again, I'm not knocking them because, you know, there, there are some good valid news sources out there for, for horror entertainment, but, um, you know, a lot of these sites, it isn't a guy in their basement. I mean, they're funded, <laughs> they're getting a lot of money to, um, you know, not only to sort of, you know, push product, but, but also to highlight product and, and highlight certain, um, certain creators. So I sort of wanted a site that really didn't know anybody, anything, because I always sort of felt like that's when you get some of the best stuff. You, you find those movies that revitalize your faith in the genre and almost always those are independent films. You know, it's, it's very rare that I'll come out of a, you know, 20, 35, $40 million movie and, and, and go, wow, that was inventive. And I can't believe they did that with it. I might think that it's good. And usually when I think that a, a huge mainstream movie is good, it's because it sort of went against the convention that I already sort of was predisposed to thinking that was going to happen. Um, but the independent films, I mean, got it like every three or four months, strangely enough, something comes along and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Like, <laughs> and I was like, how late to the game am I not, not writing that movie or, or not, you know, sort of producing that movie. So independent horror films to me um, sort of rep represent the true sort of guerrilla filmmaking ab above and beyond any genre, because, you know, we are sort of like the redheaded stepchild of Hollywood anyways. Right. Right. Now, do you think, I think a lot of people maybe not really confused, but when they hear independent, I think they think B movie, right? Oh yeah. And they, so they immediately just think, oh, this is probably going to be trash, which a lot of them aren't. I mean, a lot of independent, even though they're low budget, like you said, I mean, just imaginative and, you know, the original, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of original movies that I've seen out there, like are independent films. And I think strangely enough that that might've been something like, let's get very conspiratorial for a moment. Why not? Let's go ahead and start down the rabbit hole All right. <laughs> that maybe, <laughs> you know, main, maybe mainstream cinema and, and mainstream Hollywood, you know, sort of dug in their claws to that rumor mill and, and kept it going that, that independent meant lesser grade. And, and, and I, and it wouldn't surprise me because, you know, that's sort of the kind of mentality that you want, right? is that you want people to think that if you're spending a hundred million dollars on something, that it's the highest quality of film. And then anything that's independent or lesser is of a B or, or C quality grade of story of acting. And I think strangely, <laughs> we end up getting some of the best. We get some of the best performances. We get some of um, the best efforts from, from crew uh, independent films. When people have their heart in it, I mean, you can smell it as soon as that movie starts that, these are people with passion. You know, this wasn't something that was just put into the, uh, you know, the Hollywood meat grinder. We saw what came out of it and hopefully all the elements fit and it was still edible, you know, with independent cinema, we have to be a little more mindful of it. And, and usually those elements we put into it are, are uh, more often than not a little more thought out. Well, what do you like? Uh, what's some of your favorite uh, independent horror movies? You know, there's some of the ones that strangely enough, like, hardly anybody has seen and I, and I always push them like I'm always like oh my you know if you've got two hours of your life like this is what you really need to take a look at um 
if you haven't seen a, a dark song, like a, a a dark song, genuinely impressed me. Um, and 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 that even though it it was independent, you know, was still picked up by by IFC Midnight. So you know, it was definitely an independent film, but then it got some some decent distribution. Um, a dark song I thought was an excellent excellent movie. Um, very unpredictable and it was full of emotion. Uh, some fantastic performances in that movie. And it was a, a horror film, but it was, it was a horror film with a, with, with a lot of emotional resonance, which sometimes is, is really hard to come by. I was really surprised by that. Um, and then I was also surprised by, by a movie by Mark Fredo called um, Hellfire, uh, if you haven't seen it. Uh, Hellfire is, is really good. Um, and, and it definitely shows Mark is a, a great film. And I've, I've talked to Mark, especially after I saw the film, I sort of sought him out and wanted to do an interview with him because I was so impressed by it. Um, that I thought that was great. And then some, some of the ones that are, you know, I guess still independent, but are definitely on the radar. Um, you know, some of the, the sort of out there stuff, um, I guess we could still consider it independent, but um, I was impressed by films like Mandy. Um, because of the the art direction and the fact that they were able to to take a film and put it in this weird s- sort of world and and I always it's strange because for a movie like that that's sort of like hyper violent in places and it's sort of like this drug addled romp through this fever dream um i I sort of look at movies like like Ridley Scott's Legend, and I'm like, if we had this weird horror equivalent of Ridley Scott's legend yeah. it would be Mandy <laughs> with Nick Cage in it you know it's like all we were missing was that Tangerine Dream soundtrack and, and we could have had our, our our horror legend but I like I like movies that that understand that you know horror can also be fantasy we don't have to always play by the rules um, I think often we limit ourselves when we start looking at story and we start looking at narrative because we've got all of these films that have formed a baseline for us. You know, this is what haunted houses are. Um, this is what emotional trauma is. Uh, this is the, 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 the limits to human endurance. Like we have all of these, you know, these, these bars that have been set for us. And as filmmakers, I think, unfortunately, we spend so much time trying to navigate between these things that we, we don't really, tell the stories that we really want to tell because we're sort of chained by what all these movies have done before us. And I liked films like like Mandy, for example, because as you're watching it, it, there's not a lot of restraint there. It's sort of filmmaking without restraint where I I don't really see any point where they said, Hey, should we try this? And then everyone sort of unanimously said, no, Like I think they just said, Hey, we should try this. And then the next thing you knew it, it was on film. So movies like that definitely, definitely I, I think interests me to the point where I just can't sort of get past my love for indie film uh, just because of those those barriers you know they have those barriers set and you know, I think they're really content breaking them because if you're self-funding or you're private funding to an extent um, you're crowdfunding or however you're getting you know however you're getting your your film paid and, and, and made it's like you might as well sort of you know forget the, the glass ceiling and just you know keep on shooting up there to see how far you can get. And I think a lot of filmmakers do that. And so. Yeah. A lot of the, some of the most recent like independent horror that I've been like truly impressed with. Um, you, I, you may have seen there's a movie called uh, harvest Lake. 
by yeah. uh, Brian Williams. Uh, that his that movie and his plank face, like yeah. those movies were like because I went into them just thinking you know, they're probably going to be like these you know campy throwback movies, but they're not. I mean, they were just like that was like some of the most um, like original stuff I'd seen in a while coming from you know just independent. And I also like some stuff that's I, I like stuff that's really really sort of bizarre, open ended horror that you know doesn't necessarily do what you think a horror film is supposed to do. Um, and that sort of includes some, some weird little films and some films that people still don't sort of realize are out there, but um, films like Lake Mungo, for example, was an interesting film for me. And that was sort of a small, one of the first small sort of mockumentary films that came out that I was thought was extremely effective. Um, same as a film called Lovely Molly, I thought was a, was an interesting little film. And these are definitely more polished films than I think what people expect from, from indie fair, but um, it, you know, God, there's, there's something about films that sort of get under your skin, you know, and, and that's a hard thing to do in horror, like with horror, because there's so much, you know, I mean, if somebody has like 35 bucks in a dream, usually they're making a horror film, you know, <laughs> they're not going to make a, a film about the the Pacific theater. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's huge naval battles you know it's like they're like oh, let's make a horror film because i got a little bit of money and i got an iphone so we all sort of make these horror films so the market gets real glutted you know so we're we sort of have these these ideas of what horror films are and then you'll have one that comes just out of sort of left field and it's just sort of like i guess the only way i can really describe it is a sort of icky you know it's not like yeah. gross it's just <laughs> sticks with you and you're not really for sure why you know um you know, films like I think the the taking of Deborah Logan is one of those films for me, where they took a a concept of illness, you know, which um, is always sort of strange, especially people who have been around illness a lot. You know, people who have had um, relatives that have been in in hospice for, you know, because that's the weird thing that they don't really tell you about hospices. You know, you think the hospice is like a week. You know, it's like yeah. as you get older, you think like by the time somebody gets to hospice that that's it, you know, like it's going to be a few days and, and then the whole experience is going to be over and you're going to grieve, but it doesn't always work that way. You know, sometimes the end almost takes longer than the beginning. I know that seems sort of cryptic, but like, that's how it is sometimes with these wacky illnesses that we don't really know how to treat. And we find ourselves in, in really dark places with these people because we're, we're confronting death day after day after day with them. You know, like we're sort of on this weird journey with them and, and even though, you know, they're going to end the journey, at least most times before we do, it's like we're, we're right there. You know, we're right there in the sidecar and movies that can sort of give you that feeling. Like I think taking of Deborah Logan is, is, is pretty rare. But um, speaking from someone who's, you know, had to deal with, you know, relatives that, that had Alzheimer's, it's like that, that movie captured that weird element of the fact that disease is scary, you know, and, and chronic illness and things that we can't treat and, and seeing someone's personality start to like ebb away is extremely scary. I mean, that's a horrifying thing to see someone that you've known all your life. And then all of a sudden actually see them before your own eyes become someone else, you know, and something else like that's horrifying. All right. All right. Um, so how did you get involved in like movie making, producing, writing, so, so strangely enough, um, <clears throat> even though I am in Illinois now, 
I spent about 12 years on the East Coast. So I was a, I was a New Yorker for, for quite a while. And when I was out there, I did a lot of work in um, uh, web and, and online marketing. And um, I did some design work. And even previous to that, I was an, an illustrator for, for years. So I was a fine artist and then moved my way into digital art because, you know, quite frankly, like that's how you made a living. <laughs> After you become a fine artist, you sort of have to do something else. And um, I just started to get into video out of necessity because strangely enough, that was usually the component that either nobody knew how to do or it was so, so expensive for, for young businesses, for small businesses to, to shoot and produce that um, if you knew how to do it, um, you were in pretty high demand. So I started out shooting tons of, of, of corporate video actually was what I ended up shooting, which was a lot of, um, a lot of marketing videos, a lot of web videos, um, a lot of like corporate culture videos. Did you, did you film the horrible training videos that we may watch at some of these? I, I may have <laughs> had a hand in yes, the most frightening of films, the training videos. So I, I just sort of learned how to, to pace a, a narrative that really isn't sort of linear. You know, like when you look at like training videos and stuff, you're like, first of all, as soon as you start watching it, it's just an endurance test. Like yeah. How in the world <laughs> do we get through these things? Like I'd rather be doing anything else. So you've got to try to look at timing. You got to try to look at pacing. You just got to try to get people through it. So I started doing all the, these sort of boring videos and, you know, videos with a, a lot of people who, who, who think that they look really smart with a sweater and a blazer, you know, so we did a lot of sweater blazer videos, <laughs> corporate culture, you know, like this is who we are. This is what we do. You know, and it's like, but my employees still hate me and I don't know why. Yeah. You know, all sort of bullshit. So <clears throat> I did that for years. And um, strangely enough, um, after uh, 9-11, um, I, I partnered with the, a couple of people from the, uh, New York fire department and they started to create, um, evacuation procedure plans. That was a big thing after, after nine 11 was evacuation procedure plans. And these evacuation procedure plans, um, often needed videos. So any building, um, you know, in the five boroughs over, I think it was six stories tall. You had to do these uh, procedure plans and videos. So we were contracted to go in and it was like a big deal. Like, you know, we had like two units and we'd have to film the ingress and egress so that they could see, you know, how people were going up and down floors, you know, how quickly they were able to do it. And we ended up going to the AIG building, which is a really, really thick, it's 67 floors up. And they never allow anybody on the observation deck. And by the way, it's absolutely gorgeous up there. It's all this like, it's like a Zodiac. The floor is, is totally like the houses of the Zodiac done in this like mosaic, this tile mosaic. And it had the brass globe in the center. It's it's like if if you saw a room that instantly made you think of rape charges, it was like <laughs> you know, it's like there's probably a million secrets between the twenties through the forties in that room. Um it's like a horrible thing to make light of, but it's like as soon as you walk to the room, you're like, Oh, bad things have happened in here with a lot of really expensive cigars. So you go up there and we started shooting and and I was always a, a huge fan of film and specifically horror film. It was just always compulsory for me. I just always loved horror film. And that was one of those weird instances where I was like, why aren't I actually making like 
short films or something because I'm here. There's cameras everywhere. Like I, I know tons of people in the tri-state area with equipment and I could probably make things sort of on the fly and cheap. And um, like, and then I got paid and that feeling was gone for a little while because it was just like, ah, I can't do that, you know? And then um, like years later, I was doing more video and web work and stuff. And um, that was when it just sort of started to fit because at that point, uh, I think 2011 was when I started the Horror Fix website and the channel was there, like the ability to push stuff and the ability to promote stuff became easier because I sort of had this built-in platform. And that was when I just, I started thinking, ah, this is organic. <laughs> let's start doing some short films and let's start writing some stuff and, and see what happens and see where it goes. And it was always sort of my goal. You know, I mean, people who love movies, there's always a bug somewhere in the back of your head. That's like, I want to make movies. I love movies. I want to make movies. And sometimes you make something, you look at it, you go, maybe I'll take an accounting course now because it didn't quite work out. And there are other times where you're like, Hey, that wasn't shit. Like that wasn't like the steaming pile of shit that I thought it was going to be. And I saved it in editing and it's like, I could do another one of those. And then you do another one. Nice. Yeah. I've, that I've kind of, that's the very unromantic. Yeah. That was the very unromantic. Yeah. Like <laughs> I woke up and I had this fantastic idea. It's like, no, nah, I was shooting corporate videos. Yeah. I, you know, it was fucking soul crushing. <laughs> and then I woke up and I was like, I don't have any bourbon left. And then that was sort of how that happened. Yeah. I've, I've always wanted to also get into like filmmaking. I just never, I never did, and I I don't know why, but I think it was just not having um, that group of people around me that also wanted to do it. You know what I'm saying? Kind of oh, like, yeah. well, I can't film and act in it and direct it all, you know, by myself. So I think I think that was just it. That community not having that around is the only thing that's, on the back. No, that's that's difficult. It, it really is. I mean, especially because the idea of taking something from you know, inception to ultimately is conclusion and distributing it. Thinking of doing that all on you is, man, that's, that's overwhelming. That, that's an overwhelming idea. I mean, that's an ulcer, right? There, oh, yeah. <laughs> just trying to figure out how to do that, you know, and, and oftentimes it really is the people who end up finding that support system. I think that, that more often than not are, are able to sort of push forward. All right. So who who would you who would you say is your favorite director? Is there a director that you like? I I don't want to say idolize, but maybe um, when you thought about directing, that's kind of you know who you thought of like oh, I want to try to be like them. Maybe maybe not like be like them, but so this is probably where I'm going to lose my horror movie card. Okay, so my my laminated <laughs> union card is going to get cut in half. So somebody's going to knock on my door by two o'clock in the morning, and I'm going to get hazed. Um, but I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Fritz Lang, who, who directed the silent film Metropolis and who also directed uh, M with Peter Lorre in it. And um, those movies, those movies too specifically, in fact, Metropolis actually being my favorite movie of, of all time, not the most rewatchable, right. but, but my favorite <laughs> movie. Um, like I, I am still, whenever I watch that, I just, I sit there half the time and I'm just shaking my head. Like how in the world? Did, did this what guy year, do that? This? What year did that come out? Twenty something. Yeah, it was. I I, I believe Metropolis was actually nineteen eighteen. Eighteen. Um, okay. Yeah. And and then we have Nosferatu, which was twenty two. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and the fact that we lost forty five minutes of Metropolis for 
<laughs> for almost a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> and then we finally found it, which was absolutely insane. And then we were able to find like 45 minutes of movie that we never thought we'd ever, ever see. So maybe there's still hope for movies like London after midnight, you know, maybe okay, they are yeah. still out there somewhere. <laughs> That's like the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant of like horror films is one day you're going to walk into like a public bathroom and you're going to see like a toilet paper stacked on some film cans. And you're going to be like, oh, let me just check. And then what the fuck is the hypnotist? Yeah. You know, and then you take it home and it's London after midnight. But like, I, I love old films. Like, and, and I love, uh, I love old horror films and, and old genre films specifically because, you know, they weren't really trying to break a mold or create a mold. It was just this, this thing. It was this amorphic uh, idea that they had and they were just trying to wrangle it and, and fit it into two hours or, or less than two hours, depending. So you end up getting some fantastic films like uh, Metropolis. And then later on, I think it was 1956. We want to fast forward a ways um, to like Dana Andrews and Curse of the Demon, which I think is a fantastic horror film that, you know, few people are, are, are aware of because, you know, the further distance we get away from films like that, you know, the less we sort of acknowledge and recognize that they still exist. But yeah, I, I look at Fritz Lang and what he was capable of doing. Um, you know, they say that if, you know, if he would have tried to have made that movie, um, you know, even like the, the late nineties, early two thousands, like, you know, it would have been projected $200 million, $300, $300 yeah. million movie. It's an, it's insane. It's, it's, it's super ambitious. It's, it, it's, it's like basically going, Hey, we've never made jello before, you know? And then someone goes, you know what we should do? We should make a fucking city out of it. It's like, there was <laughs> <Yeah>. no, <laughs> <laughs> there was no in between it was just like so jello that's pretty cool and then it's like we're gonna live in a jello house it's like there was no <laughs> ramp up there was no like b you know through through y it was just like here we are we're gonna make this thing it's gonna be absolutely crazy and then before you know it, you've got this fantastic movie metropolis that literally still puts me through all the emotions no matter how many times i've seen it like you know, I'm sitting there going, it's like, oh, they would just find someone who'd be their champion. Like, I still get, like, emotionally shook up over that film. So when, it, when I look at movies, I always look at the fact that we've got so much going for us now. We've got years, of, you know, we've got decades. And, you know, at this point, a century of filmmaking that we can look back on and go, okay, I want to do this like this. Um, or I want to do this better than this. Or I want to try to emulate this. And this guy did this and it's really cool. Um, but like Fritz Lang was just like, I don't know, let's just make this crazy ass, huge fucking thing. And maybe I don't know how to do it. And I'm going to get tons of people to do it. And they're all going to get here on the same day. <laughs> We're going to yeah. be crazy with this. <laughs> it was like the perfect storm. It's just it, it, like, I'm enamored with the idea that that movie exists. Like every time I watch it, I just keep thinking to myself, like, I can't believe that I'm seeing this. I can't believe that this is a real thing. Like it's a tangible movie that you can go out and buy. Like it still sort of bewilders me that it, it exists. Yeah. So everything I look at, I sort of look at like shit. There wasn't even any audio. Like they were using color plates, you know, for day and night, they had an orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, who probably <laughs> never played the damn thing twice the same way. And, and it was just absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. And here we are, you know, a hundred years later and we're and we're trying so the fact that that was done then i guess everything i look at is sort of like man if i could just chip off a you know a little bit of the edge of that i'd be happy all right i see that aaron's back aaron can you hear us now 
yeah can y'all hear me yeah i can yeah Could, okay. you want to you want to chime in there because you've been quiet there for a while <laughs> and the video looks really good too your video looks nice yeah and crisp, yeah it looks yeah it looks uh, a lot know, better I, because it's off my uh google phone you know uh, uh yeah i have a better that's weird my phone has a better camera than i have for my computer um no, I, I missed out on uh, a little bit because of technical difficulty. So I don't want to ask any uh, question that's already been asked. Um, I was going to say uh, what Carrie was saying with the, you know, the independent and they think it's B movie and everything. But I mean, just looking at the title of, of your movie and how you have it displayed, it reminds me of the Grindhouse era. And I think that's, you know, that's what we all like. We We like those old you know, yeah, they might be cheesy, but they hold a special place in our heart, you know, and I see that right now, that's kind of like a trend where everybody's making a slasher or they make something that, you know, is based in 1980 or 1970. And I love it. I, I'm just, I'm all over that. I think we also approached it when we were, we were writing it, that the main thing that I wanted to stick with was, was, was the comedy. Like that would that was a huge huge thing for me, um, specifically because, you know, I I actually love horror comedies from the '80s and even the early '90s. I think a lot of them are still very very underappreciated. I think there were so many of them at the one point that horror fans started to become very hypercritical of them because they were leaning too far on the comedy and they feel that they they weren't able to supply the gore or the scares or whatever. Um, but I I love this idea of something absolutely horrible happening, like horrible. And I mean, and I, I go back to like, you know, um, Dan O'Bannon, Return of the Living Dead, which I think is probably one of the best horror scripts that was probably ever written as far as horror comedies go. I mean, Return of the Living Dead is just, man, it's pitch perfect. Like at, at the beats of that film, I, I mean, you, you know exactly when you're supposed to laugh and you know exactly when you're supposed to be horrified and it fits in there so well. And plus, Dan O'Bannon was, was just, was, just was a fantastic writer. So um, what we were trying to do is we were trying to take a look at the fact that, you know, as, as humans, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but we're fucking horrible. I mean, like the human creature, <laughs> we're just like the worst, right? Yeah. Um, like, you know, the, the earth and everything around us is just like, when are they going to do something useful? You know, like they're all sort of just looking at us. Like even like cats are like, Jesus Christ, really? Like this guy, he's in the door. Then he's out the door. Then he's in the door. Now he's supposed to stay inside. And he doesn't want to be inside, but now that he can go outside, he wants to stay in, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're like worse than the animals. And I thought, you know, even if something horrible was happening, like right beside you, we would find a way to complain about it. Like we would find a way to bicker and sort of that to me is like, I have to find that funny so that we don't go crazy and we don't, you know, like hate our fellow man. Like we used to love our fellow man by looking at the dumb shit that we do and just go, Oh my God, that's ridiculous. And laugh at it. Even though we know it's horrible. Like we it's know it's true, deplorable. Though. It's absolutely deplorable. But we, if we can do that, like it's, it's, it helps like it helps with our own condition because we know that we're also horrible. So if we can sort of laugh at those horrible things and I thought, you know, it wouldn't matter. Like, um, and this is years ago, like years and years ago, I don't know if I want to say unfortunate or, or, or fortunate enough. Like I, I dated some women who were in the, um, um, a, a, a erotic dancing 
uh, <laughs> arena. There you go. <laughs> and um, it was like, and it's like, it's a, it's a mess, by the way. Like, it's a complete mess. Like, that world is a complete mess. Like, you step inside it and you're like, this is why. Yeah, this is this is why the allure is very skin deep. It's and, better to be the guy going in the club and then you get to leave. And that's uh, it. It's it's a it's a fine membrane of glitter. And then when you punch through the glitter, you're like, oh, this is shit. This is shit. This smells. This is horrible. So you punch the membrane and then it's all horrible. Um, and sort of just looking back when I was younger and stuff and, and some of these weird instances of, you know, friends who were also like bouncers at some of these clubs and just, uh, you know, spending a little bit of time with them, you know, hearing their stories and everything. It was like, man, like this is just a, a train wreck. Like it's a, this whole like industry is a dumpster fire. And to have people in that industry who are, who unfortunately are sort of like the last defense against the apocalypse. I'm like, that's how it would go down. Like that's how it would go down because that's the bullshit that happens on earth. You know, other planets are like, no, man, we took care of it. But earth is just like, no, nah. it was like, you know, we found out there was a devil and a lot of us didn't even believe in it, which was fucked up. And then it happened at a strip club, which was even worse. And it was in rural Canada. So there was like nobody there. It was like, that was sort of like how, how I wanted to approach this was just like, the end of the world doesn't always have to happen with like green berets, you know, it yeah. doesn't always have to be like, I think we can stop the meteor. If I go yeah. onto the meteor and I fuck it into submission, <laughs> it's going to break up into a thousand parts because I've got a Navy SEAL dick or what, you know, it's just these weird things that these guys do in action movies, you know, and it's always a guy, he just happens to be there too, where it's like, listen, I know that we're just a bunch of scientists, just macro and microbiologists, and we can't do anything. But I saw a guy get into the, go into the bathroom with a beret on. Does that mean anything? He looked troubled. And then he comes out, and, you know, he's got to do a lot to save his daughter or something. You know, it's, it's hyper convenient is what all these movies are. But if the end of the world ever, like, truly happened, it'd be a complete shit show. You know, it, it would be like, um, I, I don't know, it would happen like, you know, it's on, during somebody's break at like a Dollar General or something like this is actually the real world, you know, is like that's how stuff happens. You know, stuff doesn't always happen out of convenience. I mean, it, which is why we see, you know, our government can't take care of anything because it doesn't happen. All of their contingency plans don't mean anything, you know, because you have to have everything accounted for. So the comedy for me was, is how, how do we take that? How do we take a, a, what could be a, a huge budget movie? You know, like the end of the world is supposed to you to think of like, you know, Roland Emmerich and shit. You know, you're always thinking of like, well, you know, we got to have a server farm just to populate the, you know, the all the polygons for our 3D rendering for our end of the world. <laughs> and it's and it's like, well, what happens if maybe you only have like a hundred thousand dollars to make 2012 like how would you make that movie and instantly i'd be like oh i'm not gonna have any of those special effects as then i wouldn't be able to hire any actors and then you start thinking it's like well okay if i had to do it over a weekend <laughs> how how would i do it if i had 48 hours to make this movie and i was just like paying people in cigarettes how would i make this movie and then i was like i'd probably put strippers in it i'd probably put a lot of strippers in it and i'd have them actually be lesbians warrior nuns who were undercover at a strip club and they fight the devil you know like that's my weird fever dream and then somebody was actually like man that sounds like fun i'm like really 
Okay. <laughs> that's we should write it. That speaks and, and to me. Yeah. And that's actually like what what the movie is. We're lucky that the title of the movie is also the synopsis. You know, so like when people are like, "So what it's about?" I'm like, "Well, it's it's that. It's the <laughs> yeah. You know, Read having, the title. Versus <laughs> this devil guy. Like that's how they do it." But the first time I seen the title, I was like, I don't even need a trailer. I'm already sold. Yeah. Because <laughs> I knew I knew what responses. I was getting. I knew what I knew what I was gonna be getting. Like just I by the title. I couldn't believe, first of all, that because this is so things got real crazy really quickly, just just to let you know. So I actually oh, this is and I I'm like really, really just throwing the skeletons out of my closet here. So the the actual like genesis for the movie was that my my wife and I were invited to this Irish folk band at, at a Catholic church, right? And my family's Catholic, so like I'm already damned in that sense, anyways. It doesn't matter. Like I I can't do anything to top it off, you know. They're just like, no, you're the worst. And we went there, and and by the way, like are either of you Catholic? No. no. Okay. <laughs> so like with most religions, the lure is. Like, hey, listen, you should show up at seven because we've got bingo and you could win a 32-inch low-definition television set. You know, it's like there's bad prizes and then you go and you try to win it. But like with Catholicism, the lure is always alcohol, always. Like we just throw it in your face. And it's like, hey, you know, you should show up at seven o'clock. And I'm like, ah, I don't really know what I'm doing. It's like, it's an open bar. And then everybody shows up <laughs> and they just usher them in. So, and that was sort of like, you know, we were like, well, you know, it was an Irish folk band. Like, you know, I'm pasty and Irish and maybe I'll go, you know, a couple of Yule or whatever, you know, Irish people say when they hear good music and, and like, I'll, you know, do this thing. And like, there was a lot of, there's a lot of alcohol. There was a lot of alcohol. So we're like drinking wine, just drinking more wine and drinking more wine. And then I was like, man, I can't believe like how I've inadvertently worked for the Catholic church for this long. Like I've just, I've always wanted, I was, a, I was a high school teacher for a Catholic church for years. So I taught high school at a Catholic church and then I wound up um, uh, teaching college for a Catholic organization. And then I, I wound up actually um, teaching software, like, like IT stuff and doing video stuff for, for another Catholic organization. And I was like, man, it's like, you know, the, the, the fingers of the Catholic church are so like far reaching, you know, it's like, I just can't get away from it. And then, you know, I was like, you know, but you never hear about like Canadian Catholic churches. I'm like, you just never really hear like there's a, a sect of the, you know, Canadian Catholic church that is just, you know, like they have weird practices or something, you know, there's like, there's any, there's strangely enough, there's like, I think, uh, um, Jeez, I can't think of it, but there's a, it's a, it's, it's an, it's an Africa. There is a, like a, a weird, like um, offshoot of uh, Judaism in, in Africa that still uh, actually sacrifices animals. So like there's these weird offshoots, right? It's like, then they're still there. There are these like weird offshoots of, you know, Judaism and Catholicism stuff everywhere. And I'm like, but we just don't hear anything, you know, from like, you know, Canada. And, and I thought, you know, maybe it's just because they, they didn't really have the hang of it. And, and I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if they had like this Canadian seer or this like, you know, a saint that was, you know, like a prophet. And what if he just got everything wrong or, or like he, he came close to it, you know. And so it, basically the gist of the story is that 
this weird Canadian offshoot of the Catholic Church as this guy that they think is predicting the end of the world. And he tells them that it's going to happen at this strip club called the, called the Beaver Dam. So there's this um, secret order of warrior nuns. And they send like two of their operatives there um, seven years too early. So <laughs> they've infiltrated a strip club, a very rural, low-rent strip club, and they've been there for seven years. Oh, man. And they're extremely cynical <laughs> and extremely jaded, and they've all got really bad cocaine habits. And, like, they're, they're sort of more now of the personalities that they are pretending to be than who they, like, really are. So the movie actually takes place on, on the night where, strangely enough, that it actually happens. They're there. They're doing their job at the, the Beaver Dam. Canada's premier rural gentlemen's club and um, the, the woman carrying the antichrist sort of strolls in and then they've got to, they got to do their business. So, now, are you going to, epic is classic this, strip good yeah. <laughs> is this going to be filmed in Canada or no, <laughs> not even filmed in Canada. And, and, and I'm sure we're probably going to end up like catching like a, uh, you know, a, a sign that has like 55 MPH on it. People are going to be like, that ain't in fucking Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Look at their blatant disregard for the metric system. Yeah. So we'll end up doing something that'll just blatantly tell people we're definitely not filming in Canada. But um, if, if you've ever been in Illinois, like during the fall, um, it gets very gray. Like it, it sort of like mimics some of the more rural parts of, of Canada, like the, the two terrains are, are fairly similar. Right. So luckily, you know, we've got some vast expanses where there's not a whole lot going on. So we can sort of double for, for Canada, but yeah, we'll, we'll be in a rural part of Illinois. You've got, um, you got some pretty good actors and actresses in this, uh, that you've already got landed already. How did you, uh, how did you get those? That was this is sort of the the weirdness, like the weirdness of what we what we were trying to do versus what ended up happening. So here's here's our Cinderella story, um, and and not like what was the Cinderella boxing story. It's like this this one has a much happier ending. Like no one gets brain damage. So <laughs> at least not yet. I mean, yeah. you know, this production is still young. We'll see. So I was I was writing this I was writing this movie. And um, there was a, a guy who was a, a, another writer who I knew who had produced a couple of horror shorts um, locally. And um, I had talked to him because he was, he was a big horror fan and I was a big horror fan. And people were like, you know, people like set you up with friends. It's like a blind friendship, you know, right. they're like, you guys should talk. And then like 15 <laughs> minutes, you're like, are you trying to get me to fuck this guy? <laughs> you know, it's like you start <laughs> walking a razor's edge. Like, I mean, what am I supposed to do here? like we have dinner so we became friends and i said hey listen i've got this this idea that is i'm i'm not even going to say it's a good idea like i've got this idea about these lesbian warrior nuns and they they need to fight the devil and he was like do you think we could both write this movie and i was like i think anyone could conceptually <laughs> like, I don't uh, I don't think it's like just you and I have what it takes like I, I think that this, it could be a movie that could be written by multiple people but let's like take a crack at it 
And um, I said, listen, I've got all these notes and I've got all these scenes and everything. And I said, what if I, you know, gave you what I've got. And, and then what if you, you, you primarily like wrote the script because he's a great writer and he's a lot faster than I am. Like I, I'll get hung up on dialogue and I'll have like 10 different lines of dialogue for one very small piece. And then I just sort of flip flop and I, and I, and I waver between, you know, all 10 and where he's very um, restrained, like he's able to go, no, this is what we need. And here's how this works. So we, we got a script that we, we really liked. Like we were looking at it and going, wow, this is actually like a, a movie movie. You know, it's like, that's when you're impressed with yourself. It's like the, the little congratulatory praise you gave. Like this is a movie movie that we've got here. So it's not like a really long commercial. This is like a movie movie. So we had this script and um, a friend of mine is this guy, uh, Max Cherokee. So Max has done some films for like Universal and Lionsgate and everything. And uh, he's been, you know, directing movies for like about 26 years. So he's got tons of movies under his belt. And um, I had done some promotional work for Max for a movie called uh, Mayday, which was like evil on a plane with Michael Porang in it. And so we were all, you know, this was during the, <laughs> the first few days of the burgeoning Corona apocalypse when you know, we were all sort of home and, and I said, Hey, you know, Max, I, I know you probably, you know, we're probably busy, but, um, Hey, listen, I got the script. Like you want to like, just take a look at it and tell me like how shitty it is, you know, like <laughs> where it falls on the sliding scale of shitty movie. And, <clears throat> and, and Max is, is, has, has no filter by the way. Like if you go on my site and you like Google his name, like C E R C H I, like, and you find an interview, he has, he has absolutely no, no filter. Like his, his review for hereditary that we were talking about was quite simply, eh, it's like Rosemary's baby with a girl ain't got no head. Like that's basically. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I, I knew that he wasn't going to pull any punches. He wasn't gonna be like, Oh, this is great. He was, he'd probably be like, eh, it's, you know, you know, how's that a court accounting course coming, you know, like, so, I gave it to him and, and he was like, do you have anybody attached to this? Anybody you're thinking of? And I said, I got to be honest with you. We just sort of gave birth to this thing in the last couple of weeks and we're still looking at what we want to do with it. And we're not for sure if we're going to try to do it regionally and raise a little bit of money or, or what. And, um, and Max was like, Hey, um, let me read all of it. And, and I think maybe I want to direct this movie. And I was like, Oh, well, that's an interesting development. Cause I was really just wanting an opinion, but that's fantastic. <laughs> So, and Max comes back and he's like, hey, listen, I think I want to direct this movie. And I think we should talk to uh, Michael Pere and Robert Lasardo and get them on this like as soon as possible. And I was like, the, the actors, those guys that act in movies. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, you know, I, I'm just looking at how we can raise like $25,000 to make this movie. It's, it's the main thing for me. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, um, you know, and I think that we could probably go ahead and like secure distribution for this thing pretty quickly. So I'm like, you know, I should probably uh, call the other guy because he needs to know, yeah. you know, how this movie's getting made since his name is on it. And, you know, we started to have more conversations about it and, and more conversations about it. And um, uh, both Prey and, and Lasardo really, really enjoyed it. Um, um, Lasardo, by the way, he's a really great guy and a very, classically trained actor even though he's extremely intimidating um and he was like you know this is 
like really funny, but like, like smart, funny for a movie about lesbian warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't know how much of a compliment that is, but I'm, I'm going to take it at an eight. So I'm going to take it as a good compliment. And um, then it was, okay, so who else do we want and, and how are we going to do this? And uh, it was a sort of a crash course for me because a lot of my filmmaking and doing shorts before or, or setting up shorts or, or producing, I had, I had produced a feature for comedy before that. And I had uh, written, produced and, and directed two shorts. And then I had um, served as a producer on, on another short all in a very small amount of time, by the way. So this is all relatively new. So when this happened, I was like, okay, this is, you know, it's still sort of in my, in my wheelhouse, but this is experience is becoming bigger. So how do I sort of, you know, rein that in and, and make that work? So before we knew it, we had um, uh, Robert Lasardo, uh, Michael Pere, we had um, Kaylee Williams, who's been in 63 horror films, which is crazy because she's still like this tiny little young thing. And, um, <laughs> It's like, I'm like, you've been in 60, you have been in 63 films. Um, we have uh, Jean Young, who was, who was a great, um, done a lot of television. Um, she's great. Um, we have Max Cook, who is actually the voice of Chester Cheetah. Strangely wow, enough. Nice. <laughs> who is, <laughs> who's playing this character, Randy, who is hilarious. Like, he's a hilarious guy anyways, but the, the character hopefully is going to be just as hilarious as, as Max is. Um we have uh, Julianne Prescott, who um, is just great and has been in, in tons of, of horror films as well. And uh, we have a, a regional actress who, strangely enough, is just, like, she just is so great. Like every, everything she does, like we absolutely had to include her. And, and when we had first thought of this as being a really, really small movie, like she's on a lot of our marketing collateral, like she's on a lot of our posters and she's done a lot of, a lot of modeling for us when we first just started to get the idea out there. And we thought that we might, you know, try to pitch the idea around. It's like, we wanted to have some visuals for us. So she's on a lot of the collateral already, which is, which is great. And, um, and then we've got, like, can you edit this? <laughs> Yeah. Like, can you edit this part yeah. out? Yeah, I can. Yeah. Like yeah. what I'm about ready to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if if you can edit this out, and I would really appreciate it if you did. Yeah, um, so with within the next few days, like um so um Bei Ling, who was in Yeah, Sky Captain, um, mm -hmm. um Crank. Um so we have not actually announced her, but she's attached. To it now oh wow that's um, very awesome and um we've been talking to like strangely enough we're one of the few films that we actually have the support of ron jeremy already like if you look at our videos we have an endorsement video from ron jeremy which is ridiculous but yeah, um, we've <laughs> we've been we've been talking to, to ron about a larger role so that might drop with and when you say a larger role <laughs> right yeah it, we just mean a side profile oh, okay <laughs> he just turns, and then turns back <laughs> so, so we've, we've been like really really lucky extremely extremely lucky that people who you know have i don't want to say that you know that people who haven't been in that many movies don't have careers they have careers they have to watch out for they have to maintain and there's a reputation there um but but some people who have been in the industry for a long time you know really have to to manage reputation maybe a little more stringently and tighter 
and to have them attached to a movie that sounds this crazy um really came as like a shock to us that they were like no this is like this is actually a smart script that i'm like it is oh it is <laughs> yeah i meant to do that that's really smart but yeah so so that part um yeah if we could edit that part out that'd be great oh, yeah, yeah for sure that. um but that was just like that was pretty awesome that that happened and that and, and, oh, and awesome. Ling just happened like two days ago so we we had approached her a while ago and just couldn't nail anything down which which happens yeah and then, and then finally you know she had a chance to uh read the script and, and really liked it and, and and all that so i'll tell you a funny story and and this is something that you guys can keep okay okay <laughs> <laughs> so um so damien Maffe uh, from strangers pray at night and from haunt and like a million other things like damien is is a great guy and and i've known damien for for years and um i had like given damien the script at one point in time because i had a, a couple characters that i thought he would be really good for and um damien is super busy like not just with being like damien but is like his wife is also a nurse and like you know during this time right now he's been extremely busy and <laughs> I was talking to Felissa on the phone and she was like, you should, you should talk to Damien about this movie. And, and I said, I, I, I've given him the script and, and, and Damien's really busy. She's like, he hasn't got back to you. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no. And then I got real cocky and I'm like, you should tell him to call me. <laughs> I'm like, now it's on you. <laughs> Like you've, you've watched that videotape and you've got seven days to get Damien Moffey to call me. So what was funny is like, like I knew like he, this guy is so like busy, busy, busy. And within like an hour of getting up the phone with Felissa, like I get a text from Damien. I haven't been dodging you. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> so like, she's, she's as nice as she can get anybody to call anybody else. Like anybody. Like she can get anyone to call anyone else. And then I'm like, man, I really should have pulled out a blue chip or something. <laughs> you, you know, who should have called me for this was Br Brad Pitt. Yeah. He hasn't <laughs> called me back at all. <laughs> and like 45 minutes later, I don't know who you are, but this is Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I overstepped. I overstepped. Actually. Yeah. She's like, she's, she's that kind of lovable that like, People will call you back if she tells them to call you back. Nice. So that's now, something to keep in mind. I was looking through your, because you're on Indiegogo, right? Is that what I'm looking at? Yeah, Indiegogo. Yes, yeah. um, you have a lot of like really good like merch on here. for the, yes. for the uh, I keep calling them prizes. It's not really a prize. You're paying for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do have a question about one of them. Okay. Uh, spider nipple. Okay. Uh, yeah. The reason I the reason I bring this up is because uh probably 30 episodes ago we were just having a discussion and kind of like accidentally wrote a had an idea for a movie called Spider Tit. <laughs> well, I don't want to steal your thunder here. Okay. I think that there still is a very viable market for Spider Tit out there. Okay. Um, awesome. <laughs> so, one aspect of of the lesbian warrior nun universe or the the nuniverse is that um if you've sort of 
been recruited by this evil presence to sort of help him go find the uh, unborn Antichrist. Um, you will, you know, be sort of possessed. Uh, but at that point, every sort of bit of you can sort of become possessed as well. <laughs> so if something were to be pulled off, bit off, yanked off, <laughs> there's a good possibility that that would then also have a life of its own. So in, in the third act, there's, there's a lot of parts that are doing different things, different body parts. So, and, and nipples are definitely factored into, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> into the, the equation. Yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait to see this movie. <laughs> I know. I, man, uh, when, when Carrie, you know, I think it's a, a competition between me and him to find, you know, the most outrageous stuff to show each other. And he showed me, he's like, have you heard of this? And I'm like, no. And then I read the title of your movie. I'm like, I'm ashamed I've never heard of this. This sounds awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, we always do that back and forth. I'm like, hey, have you seen this? And he's like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can't wait either. It's, it, it's, it's right up my alley. I love the weird and bizarre. And that's just, that's just me. Well, it's sort of like keeps getting crazy. Not, not like the story. Like the story, the script is... Has, has sort of remained in, in one revision for, for a while now. Like we, we got it sort of the way we wanted it to, but like the, the people that we sort of keep getting associated with it is, is pretty insane. Um, even like fight choreography and stuff, like, like we got a guy who like worked on the matrix, which is like ridiculous for a lesbian warrior in a movie. So, you know, it's, it, it feels like, and, and this is sort of what makes me giddy is that, we've still got a small film here. It's a small independent film that we've had a lot of people really, really attach themselves to like, like they just have enjoyed it and they've sort of enjoyed the spirit of it and enough that we've been really, really blessed with the talent that has decided that this is something that they want to put their name on. <laughs> cause that was a bit of a gamble when we, when we thought we were going to do something with it, you know, cause it's like, we had ideas that were very not this idea, you know, it's like we had ideas, you know, like a, a tour de force swan song. that was going to be like my name, you know, it was like a, an emotionally charged horror film was this, this movie that I was, you know, working on at the time. Like it was going to be the, the thing. You know, and it was like, and, and I got like totally uppity about it. I'm like, I'm going to drop weight and I'm going to work. <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to be the lead. I'm going to drop 30 pounds. It'd be a total fucking transformation. I'm going to become the next it guy. You know, it's like you get those weird thoughts at three o'clock in the morning when you're eating a steak. And you realize <laughs> <laughs> that this is your life. <laughs> and it's like every, every night becomes like New Year's Eve. And you're like, no, I'm also going to quit doing all this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, after this cheeseburger, I'm going to quit all the other. Yeah, I feel like if more people start coming on to it, by the end, you're going to, it's going to be Disney presents the true tale. Wouldn't that be so weird? weird? Oh, my God. Although in, in my mind, there's a musical here. Yeah. <laughs> like, there is, like, a musical here. Chastity. I don't know exactly what that would be, but there's a musical in there somewhere. And 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 that would be... That would God, that would be so what alternate universe would the lesbian warrior become a Disney movie? But 
like the the more people that we end up you know like shooting this thing by they're like yeah yeah i think that's my warrior dead movie and and you know it's like there's a part of me it's like i really have to try like not just to burst out laughing like how is this happening like looking at this thing and just being like and they're reading it they've got to be reading it like they can't just like skim it and be like this is a great fight scene this is pretty cool oh this is a great piece of dialogue like at some point they're like they've got to highlight like the word spider nipple like (laughs) (laughs) i had to have jumped off the you know metaphorically like jumped off the page at them you know and and they were like now this is an interesting development and and yet they're like turn the next page you know i didn't really (laughs) expect that to happen but (laughs) they're you know people are taken with their so now the uh the indiegogo campaign it as of recording this episode it's already it's already launched right right yeah so we we're getting funding from a variety of different resources um but um this is one where and we screwed up so this is what's great too is that we were looking to get twenty five thousand dollars and we put 250 and it stayed (laughs) so what would be great is is if we did get that 250 um, however, we were not looking for that. So then people are like, what the hell are you going to do with this lesbian warrior done movie? It's like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> in, the, in the theme of all things, we screwed this up too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's, you know, it's like there's our poker face. No, we screwed this up too. So yeah. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. So, you know, we are trying to raise funds on, on Indiegogo, you know, as, as well as, you know, some, some other investment stuff that we've got going on. But. Yeah, so the Indiegogo is currently live, and we had a bunch of associate producer credits that we sold out of, and we had some other things that we sold out of, and um, some stuff that's, like, we're just putting on there, like, um, we've got, oh, and I didn't even bring it here. Oh, that's too bad. I'm going to yell for my wife. Okay, we're gonna We're going to see yeah, what go she ahead, does. Okay, so one thing that we knew that we wanted to do was we, we wanted to treat the Beaver Dam like it was a real place. So half the merchandise for the movie doesn't even have the movie logo on it. It's got the <laughs> logos from the Mythical Strip Club, you know, which again was something like we thought about and we're like, the, the name of the movie is nowhere on any of this stuff. And we're like, it doesn't matter. It's a beaver with his dick stuck in a log. It's genius. So... <laughs> So we have, this is like, this is when I become like totally like the used car salesman, but like we have the beaver dam, like cup Very cool. thermos kind of thing here. Um, <laughs> we have coasters all featuring the beaver dam logo. Uh, we have shirts. Uh, we have condoms. We have, um, we we also have the the actual we have a nipple gun, yeah. That so is one of the perks. And then you have uh, some syrup. Yes, that's a big part of the film because <laughs> it's like we can't be any more stereotypical Canadian. Like I, 
how I could not get extradited for this. But um, <laughs> so part of the film is that like the only industry around the beaver dam is a maple syrup processing plant. Like that's their sole source of their patrons is the people who get off work at the maple syrup processing plant. And one of the um, people at the, the beaver dam is actually trying to run a, a black market syrup smuggling ring. Like they think that's going to be how they're going to break out. <laughs> <laughs> black market maple syrup oh yeah I, th- another thing that um that's on here was the uh the five pack of holy water lube yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also included in our date night package yeah. <laughs> we have <laughs> yeah i've seen those also <laughs> yeah we our three date night packages A- again like we didn't really have anybody tapping our shoulders going like we didn't have that voice of reason where people were shaking their head going, why are you? No. It's like, instead people were like way, way too excited and energetic about the stupid shit we were saying. And like in hindsight, it would have been nice to have had like the other side of the coin there being like the t-shirts are a good idea. But instead people were like lube. Yeah. Lube yeah. The whole goddamn <laughs> yeah. thing up. <laughs> we need Giant lube. Dildos. We need condoms. Yeah. We need syrup. <laughs> Right, suddenly, so I didn't even know we we're talking about the movie anymore, and I was like, I'm pretty sure half of this is illegal, but I didn't <laughs> do it anyways. But how great is that? You know, and that's that's what I like about you know the independent movies. You don't have someone trying to control that. I mean, you can put what you want out there, and you know what you thought of gets to be put out there. You don't have anybody, you know, suits telling you no, you can't do this and that. You know, like this movie couldn't have existed anywhere else you know it has to be independent but that's where oh, yeah. I, I i love going to that because that's the only original shit anymore we get the same processed crap every time like oh here's this movie well i've seen that movie you know the for instance the new bloodshot movie with vin diesel i saw that movie it was called upgrade nobody yeah. talked about upgrade upgrade's badass i mean oh yeah yeah but you know it's the same thing but different if that makes any sense <laughs> no it, it is i mean they 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 know their beats like they, yeah. they know that this is this is what a particular audience with this demographic is expecting and you know then they sort of go through those beats to to meet that you know what whatever they have on paper you know whatever that thing is on paper that they have or it's like here's how we make our opening weekend and then here's how we trail off the next and here's how then we tie it into this next movie and here's a, you know it's this they're very very like thoughtful <laughs> yeah. like you know like everything is um really about like the marketing engine like how do we market all this and and then the movie sort of just falls into the marketing plan more so than the marketing plan sort of falls around the movie it's like they've got this marketing plan and then sort of they have to figure out how to work the movie and everything the movie does sort of in the marketing plan and and you know with like any films most of the time we're just sitting there you know looking at each other going like are you gonna pay for the facebook boost for this post because <laughs> i got pizzas yeah <laughs> <laughs> you sort of have to, to to deal like there's a little more wheeling and, and dealing and stuff and like the the marketing is like it's it's the necessary evil thing like when you're making small movies like you got to look at it as, well, we got to, you know, it's like, we got to get eyes on it, you know, where I think with the the bigger people, it's like that, that marketing happens, you know, well before 
first of all, they've shot a single frame. It happens well before it's even really been greenlit. You know, it's like all this marketing is in place and there's focus groups and, you know, there's a lot of business majors making art decisions, which is always a weird thing. Yeah. And that happens way too often. So obviously we're not thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, it's getting kind of late. So I guess we're going to wrap this up. Um, but I mean, thanks for coming on here, man. This was, this was an awesome, uh, awesome discussion. Oh, I had a blast. I oh yeah, definitely. Um, lo- I would love to have you back on closer to the release of the film that we oh, yeah. can you know, give us some updates on it. Um, but before we get off here, you want to give, uh, your, uh, information out, uh, the, give the address for the Indiegogo and where the, you know, where they can find you at. Uh, yeah. So luckily like we've been picked up by a lot of different sites, and a lot of um, a lot of news outlets already. So actually, we just go on Google, and strangely enough, if you put if you put in "lesbian warrior nuns Indiegogo," we're right there. I mean, apparently, we don't have as much competition as we thought we were going to have. <laughs> and it's like lesbian warrior nuns EU. God damn it! No, like we just come up right at the top. Um, so we're, the Indiegogo will come up first thing. Um, just putting in like strangely, but just lesbian warrior nuns, and sort of like the the news outlets will will hit. Um, my site is, is horror-fix.com. So usually, if I do release a press release, I usually hit my site first, and just because my bias, and then I'll you know release it to to the other news outlets too. So that's easy. Um, um, warrior nut like at warrior nuns of the great white north is the uh facebook page so that's there um and then usually i'll release stuff on twitter under horror fix so we've got both a page and a group um for the for the film and they're real easy to find on facebook um and then you know you can always find me ash hamilton like like i'll talk to anybody so anybody just it's like, hey, you got those lesbian warrior nuns. I'd be like, yeah, dude. <laughs> and then about a five minute mark, they're like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. And then we'll just see them trail off. <laughs> so, but I'll get them to the five minute mark. So I'll talk to anybody. But yeah, we've, we've got a, a lot out there. We've got a lot like um, that, that part of the, <laughs> the part of the conversation that people will be like where's that missing part of the conversation that he keeps referring to because he's being awfully self-referential <laughs> for something that they cut from the yeah. audio um, like that should hopefully drop like within the next week too like we're just sort of strategizing that but um yeah like if you just put in lesbian warrior nuns or even like true tale of old split because like i said at the beginning people try to truncate it it's like you've got two camps people are like oh the old split foot movie i'm like yeah 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 and then they'll also be like, oh, the lesbian warrior movie. I'm like, yeah, it's the same movie. But, you know, yeah, it's just like you took that part and the other guy took that part. And we're trying to put both parts together. But, like, you'll find it either under, like, True Tale of a Split Foot or under Lesbian Warrior Nest, depending on, like, how many characters <laughs> were allowed. Right. It was like, what part of the movie? <laughs> so, some people are like, man, it's going to be like a monster movie. It's like Split Foot. You know, people are going to be like, that's like chicks with guns and shit. And so it's like we've created unfortunately two movies for a long time. <laughs> you should sell two like two different shirts <laughs> oh we totally should well we do have luckily we do have the actual like the, the the movie shirt which is like the the actual movie poster with the the title on it and um and, and that by the way is uh, katie schooley i gotta shout out to her because like katie's great and she's done a lot of the modeling 
for this. So a lot of the images that you see in the posters, um, like the t-shirts and stuff is, is, is Katie who, who does have a role in the film who, who plays Trixie in the film. Um, I think that's the t-shirt I saw when I think I saw the, just a beaver dam t-shirt on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got like the beaver dam stuff. We got a ton of, of the, the beaver dam stuff, both black and white and colored because why not? Right. Um, so <laughs> If you're looking at that little beaver fucking a log and you're thinking, you know what? <laughs> if I had this in color, it'd be a sealed deal. <laughs> then that is also available through, like, we've got them on Redbubble and everything else. We just got, like, tons and tons of them. We've got, like, the Ragland jerseys. So now they're really ambi coming a salesman. But, like, we've got all those shirts. And, and it's it's real easy to find, like, just lesbian warrior nuns. And we're pretty much, you know, as of about a week ago when – you know, people really starting to like pick the story up. Um, like I Googled it today, you know, cause I'm like, how important am I? So I went ahead and put the, <laughs> <laughs> the name in there and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of Spanish language people who are really interested in this movie. You know, so <laughs> I, I learned I just poor Google translate was today. And I'm like, there is nothing about bananas in this movie. At least not that I remember, but <laughs> Google seems to think that it is banana laden. <laughs> of the google translate speak that i'm getting so yeah i would suggest keeping with the uh english language unless you have a necessity to visit the spanish language sites that have picked the story up but yeah it's there so it's, it's places all right yeah like i said i'm again uh i'm excited for this movie do you know when it's, when you go try to release it what's your like expected date well um covid notwithstanding um we we were shooting the first two two weeks of november okay. so and it's a pretty aggressive shoot we're, we're looking at about 14 to 16 days and you know luckily um we, we've got a, a pretty tight schedule that we can we can fit to like i said covid notwithstanding so we think that hopefully um because we, we've also got distribution like we don't have to shop around which is great so that sometimes is what takes a long time you know and we're luckily able to sort of bypass that step so hopefully by like I, I would like to say maybe end of second quarter 2021 so just pretty aggressive but that's right. when i'd like to have it out yeah we got to get people thinking about you know the sequel yeah <laughs> <laughs> you mean trilogy you gotta do a trilogy nowadays we've already written like okay so we've already started like looking at <laughs> where these adventures <laughs> <laughs> would go because like we get together like my writing partner and i get together and we're honestly like junior high kids you know like we get together like what if this were to happen you know and then we just start thinking about land of shit and all of a sudden we were like okay picture this all right picture this opening lesbian warrior nuns 2 dildo factory we go right into the dildo factory. You know? <laughs> and it's sad like when you like your writing partner's eyes light up and you're like oh yeah, oh, yeah. So, so we've got our, our expositional opening shot <laughs> for a sequel at hi mom yeah. So, yeah all right yeah like i said i mean thanks for coming on here to our little show and talking with us uh this was a anytime a blast yep i had a lot of fun i really did thank you guys so much yeah no problem man and yes, like sir. i said look forward to having you back and we'll be sharing this on our facebook group and page and i'm gonna have to chip in and get the dvd but um yeah definitely definitely well, uh, and send it to me too i'll i'll whore it as much as absolutely possible so. okay we'll do that awesome <laughs>
Great. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Coming to get you, Barbara. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. The unburied.